What would cause an enemy to ask me to sing the songs of Zion? What would be in the enemy's mind to want to hear a song of celebration from the captives to which they hold captive? Why would they want to hear a song that comes out of the lips of an exile in which they have purposely been placed in an exilic context that they may feel the wrath of God. In fact, why would even God permit the moment to extract from me a song of Zion in such a strange place? I noticed that the initiator of what I call evasive praise in the text. Now, evasive praise has reference to praise that is not given to the root cause or even credited to that which gives direct inspiration unto you. So evasive praise may very well be suggestive of satanic influence at its best as the motive to either refuse you to praise God, the God of your salvation, or to either shut you down from even giving exhortation to the God who gives you life. But Psalm 137 possesses a twist, a twist that is quite unusual. Its oppressor, its persecutor, its enemy is requesting that these exilic Hebrews sing the songs of Zion, but not just any song. They want to hear joyful songs. They want to hear the songs that speak to their soul. They want to hear the songs that stir their emotion. They want to hear the songs that soothe their soul. It's almost as if you can reminisce the language or the experience of Saul as the spirit of evilness is resting upon him and David comes in and begins to play his harp and the Bible says Saul is reversed back to a normal man. Could it be that these guards, these captives, these tormentors, soul is in torment itself? And they themselves know by listening to the Hebrews praise God and give God a sense of celebration. There is something about watching them that now they want to know how can we receive the same level of joy, the same level of excitement, the same level of exhortation that you are experiencing and you are the exile and I'm in freedom. I want to know if you can show me how I can celebrate in that same kind of conversation. And they restrictively said in verse 1 and 2, whatever you do, sing us a joyful song. Don't, don't sing us anything sad. Don't sing us anything that will make us sad. But we want to hear the joyful songs of Zion. And I just got a suspicion, could it be? that they have witnessed these Hebrew captives right there, 
by the rivers of Euphrates right there in the rivers of Babylon in a very unusual fashion. If you read Psalm 137, you may not think it, but your imagination may kick it in. Could they be at some point had witnessed these Hebrews celebrating God? in a captive context where they were giving God what we call a yada praise. They were celebrating God in the sense of revering him and worshiping him, but a yada praise says that when they give their exhortation to God, their hands are extended. And could it be that these captives were looking at them while they were sitting by the riverside with hands extended and giving language like, thank you, God, and Lord we praise you and hallelujah and thanks be to God for his goodness and could they be saying praise be to God and these captives are wondering how could you sing like that when you're not only in a strange land but you are captive and they don't know but it's not where you are that determines how you celebrate God but it's the worship on the inside of your spirit that determines how you're going to praise God and you don't have to be free to give God glory but right where you are even in a captive moment you can worship God says Jesus in spirit and in truth in other words you can yada God whether you're in a prison cell or outside of a prison cell you can bless the Lord at all times by extending your hands to thank God and your captor and your tormentor want to know how do you celebrate God when things are crumbling all around you when your life is not the way that it should be when your life is in a very tormenting state how do you continue to honor and praise God but could it be that God is speaking through the voice of the enemy as he says to you sing us one of the songs of Zion sing us one of those songs of celebration could it be God speaking through that evil voice to instill into us to understand that it's not where you are that necessarily determines who you are but it's being able to recognize that because my environment is not what it ought to be that doesn't mean that I can't be who I am that doesn't mean that I can't celebrate and honor God right where I am it simply means that God is saying unto me can you praise me whether the rain is falling or the sun is shining would you express and extend your hand and celebrate whether life is good or whether life is bad you can't allow the context of your existence to determine whether or not you're going to praise God the Bible says I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall forever be in my mouth here's the question can you celebrate God even though your life is not what it ought to be your health is not the greatest that it ought to be your finance is not the greatest your situation is not the most beautiful but yet you bless God because you know from whom all blessings have flowed and you recognize it was God that has brought you safely thus far and you realize if it had not been for the Lord on your side and you realize if it hadn't been for God waking me up this morning and starting me on my way and watching over me through the course of the day you realize even though it doesn't look 
good. I still feel God down in the inside of my soul. I still recognize that God is still good all of the time. And even though nobody else won't praise God, I got to bless the Lord because when I think about his goodness and all that is done for me, there's no way I can sit there. But my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank you, God. I worship you, God, for saving me. Anybody got to think just five minutes from where God saved you from, how your life was before you met who Jesus is. But ever since I met him, now I got joy, which is unspeakable joy. Now I celebrate when sometime I don't even know why I'm celebrating. Now I recognize that God opened the windows of heaven. God made it possible before. God keeps me every single day. God watches over me. I got to worship and when my enemy says, sing for me a song of Zion, all I'm going to do is step back and say, Lord, if it had not been, because I know it was you who brought me safely thus far. When your enemy requests that you sing a song from Zion, maybe God has allowed us to be exiled in our kind of Babylon because we have allowed ourselves to become submitted to evasive praise. Now here's what I mean by that. Maybe God now realizes, hold on, you are allowing your praise to be conditional. In other words, all of the conditions on the outside have to fit in order for you to lift up your hands and thank me. You're not realizing that if you are alive and breathing my air, that's enough for you by yourself to give thanks unto the Lord. How many people know that everything just ain't good all the time and my life just ain't ticking that the way that I wanted to and I am not always on good street, great street, exciting street. How many folk recognize sometimes falls all around me. Sometimes life turns me upside down. Sometimes life has a way of beating me to the ground. Sometimes life drains all of the energy from me but all I do is just lay back and just start thinking about who it was that brought me from point A to point B and something starts to happen on the inside of my soul. Here it is in the text. Verse 1 and 2 says that they were there sitting down beside the rivers of Babylon and they wept and they wept because they remembered Jerusalem. They remembered the place where God had given them to call their home. They remembered Jerusalem because of the space of worship, that temple. They remembered that it was there that they would come in often to meet God on sacred ground. That's the reason why we ought to have a celebratory spirit, the house of God. Because don't you know that there are some people on the other side of the world who don't have a, a church to claim as their church ground, but they may have to worship in a hut. And maybe that's what's our problem is we become so comfortable and we've been so favored in the place that we have now but maybe we should go back from time to time shut down this building and go to the old building where there is no bathroom and maybe where there's no running water maybe where there's very few lighting available and then we'll start thinking about how blessed we are to sit in this building with air condition and to sit in this building with electronics and technology sometimes God lets you reside in Babylon so you will 
think about what you used to have before he blessed you to the point where you forgot all about from whom all blessings flow. And every now and then you ought to sit back in your easy chair at the house and just look around and think, Lord, I remember when I used to live in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, and I used to look up through the ceiling and I could see the stars at night and the sun during the day. But look at me now. I got a clear roof over my head. I remember when I used to have to sit in the house and there were fans blowing all that air along with them flies through the house. But look at me now. I got air conditioning at 65 degrees and I'm feeling comfortable every now and then. You got to sit back and remember when you drive that car. Lord, I remember when I had to walk 15 miles to get to where I need to be. But look at me now. You got to think about Jerusalem and what you used to have before you got to where you are now. Notice, notice the text. Where's the text? Here it is. They had forgotten Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. I know they've forgotten because the Bible says that they decided to hang up their harps. They decided to hang their harps on the popular trees. They had already decided that we are no longer going to sing the songs of Zion. They retired not only their instruments but their voice to glorify God. And we might want to ask, why would they do that? And it could be for several reasons. One, because they were overwhelmingly disappointed that they were now in exile. They couldn't understand really how they end up in this place. Now, they need to remember that they got there because they were just simply disobedient to God. And God had decided that they were going to spend some time in exile. But because they are in a place that is uncomfortable, they are overwhelmingly disappointed and decide to cop an attitude with God and say, I ain't singing about anything no more. You remember a prophet by the name of Jeremiah who took that same approach. Jeremiah, because he was incarcerated by dungeon, and he looked up one day and said, Lord, you never told me that my family would treat me the way I am because I'm a prophet. You didn't tell me that the people would disregard me because I'm a prophet. You didn't tell me that this journey of walking with you would be so disappointing being a prophet. And Jeremiah said, I will never speak about your name again. But there's something that happened between I'll never speak about your name again and the next word that Jeremiah said. Jeremiah said, I'll never talk about you again, but we've been there before. We've gotten mad at God. We've gotten disappointed with God because God didn't open the door. God didn't make a way. God didn't shut the door. God didn't heal my body. God didn't make a way for me where I would be celebrating of his goodness. And we told God, I ain't never talking about you anymore because you didn't do like I asked you to do. But Jeremiah said, but I got to think there's something working on the inside of me. In fact, there's the presence of God that just won't let me keep quiet. You ever come to church and decide you weren't going to come and celebrate God? You weren't going to come and raise your hand? You weren't going to come and shout? You weren't going to come and say amen? You were just going to church because you know you need to be in church that day. But when you got through the door and the choir started singing and the preacher started preaching and the Spirit of God started moving through the atmosphere and you said I said I wasn't going to tell nobody but in the words of Jeremiah it was like fire 
shut all up in my bones and I had to tell somebody I had to raise my hand I had to run I had something on the inside of me that would not let me sit still but they were disappointed they told God I'm not talking anymore and as a result they hung their hearts on the popular trees and they took and took their voices and became silent. They were discouraged, they were discouraged because they realized 70 years is a long time for us to have to stay in one spot and I didn't ask to be here. But watch this. When you read Jeremiah's letter, Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 29, because Jeremiah was a part of this exilic community, he tells us what God sent them a letter and told them, listen, although you have been relegated to 70 years of being in exile, don't worry about it, don't trip, don't lose your mind. In fact, this is probably the best place that you could be right now because when I let you roam free, you didn't seem to want to celebrate me or worship me, so if I got you in confinement maybe you'll remember how blessed you truly are so in Jeremiah 29 God speaks to the prophet and he tells them listen since you are in exile the Bible says he told them build you some houses plan to stay for a long time plant some gardens and eat the food that you produce marry and have children find some spouses for your children so you can have many grandchildren whatever you do multiply and don't dwindle away somebody might be in here today and you are living in your exile and you've decided to throw up your hands put your praise card on the tree put your voice on the back burner and decided you ain't going to talk about God any longer but the text says whatever you do in your exile don't die where you are be determined that I'm not going to die because life ain't good I'm not going to die because God hasn't done what I thought he was going to do I'm not going to die because things look difficult you've got to decide I'm going to live and find out what God God has in store for me but when you read Jeremiah 29 it gets better because here's what happened it gets better on behalf of God and it may appear to be worse on behalf of the Hebrews but watch what God says God says while you are here in exile here's what I want you to do I want you to pray for your enemies yeah let me say that one more time I want you to pray for your tormentors. And remember, back in the text, Psalm 137, verse 1, 2, and 3, the tormentors and the captors were those who had them incarcerated. God says, I want you to pray for them. And I want you to pray for them even though they are persecuting you, even though they are talking about you, even though they are emailing about you, even though they got you on social media, I want you to pray for them. Pray for them. Why? I want you to look out for them because although they don't know what they're doing, I'm going to use you to sing a song to break down the difficulties inside their heart. Wait a minute. You think that's bad? Listen to what God says. I want you to pray for them because pray for their welfare because their welfare will determine your welfare. Wait a minute, hold on God, wait a minute, you got to back that up. Hold, uh, uh, no, wait, wait, hold on. My welfare depends on you, I know it, but I'm going to work through your enemy to create your welfare. Pray for them. 
pray for them and that's that's tight because here look what God is saying is I know I know they're dragging your name through the mud and I know that and I know you don't want to look at them I know if you could and get away with it you'd kill them right on the spot but listen to what God said pray for them work with them because God says as you bless them they're going to bless you because I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and use you through them that you might realize no matter where you are it doesn't determine who you are because you're in a difficult context y'all not feeling me so let me say it this way God says here's first of all get in your mind you are in Babylon and you're not coming out 70 years is what you're going to serve you're going to serve this 70 years now when the 70 years is done I promise I'm going to come back and get you and I'm going to fulfill all the promises that I made for you. That's how we know that famous verse. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans not to harm you or destroy you, but plans to bless you, plans to expand you. But God says, first of all, you got to get through the 70 years. You got to hang, hang out where it's difficult. Here's what I came to tell you. You might be in your Babylon, but remember, your Babylon might be the best place to have you right now because every now and then, God has got to put us in a space where we have to reevaluate our section. Because have you noticed that you do your best faith work when you are in the trenches of life? Yeah, see, we don't pray as often as we think we do when we are standing on top of the mountain. We're not as quick to praise God when we have everything going our way. But when life topsy-turvy and we're down in the trenches trying to survive, man, we get all kind of, I want to praise God, hallelujah, amen. Because we realize in that trench, that's where God makes us. Because Babylon is a place of discovery. It's in the trench of difficulty and disappointment and discouragement and even displacement that God uses the environment of Babylon to help us discover the newness of who we are. Maybe you are in your Babylon now because God is using your enemy to birth a new beginning in your life. See, we think that all beginnings come. Have you ever recognized some of my best revivals come out of my enemy's persecution? Some of your best spiritual awakening comes from going through the valley of the shadow of death. It comes from being persecuted. It comes from having a hard time or being in a space that is uncomfortable. That's when God really begins to work in our life. And here it is, by the rivers of Babylon, in a captivity space, we reevaluate our spiritual connection because we then realize we find the value of what it means to live life. Have you noticed that you really don't realize how important your body is in terms of vitality until you get sick? Or until you have now qualified for surgery? You realize then how important it is that I must take care of myself and how important it is that this temple that God has given me, that I must give it my utmost attention. But you would have never realized that. You would continue to take your body for granted had it not been for that moment in which your body says, hey, we need your attention. 
Have you noticed that you really don't recognize how valuable it is that you see the importance of budgeting until your well has run dry? and you no longer have resources and you have to struggle at making ends meet and don't nobody have to tell you then how to handle that money once you get out of that jam because you know it's something about going through not being delivered in it but being delivered through it see sometimes God lets us go through it because God knows we would never catch the lesson that needs to be learned if it just simply delivered us out of it but going through it and then having the grace to experience God's provision through it and having the mercy that keeps us going through it and the faith that keeps us strong through it and the inspiration that keeps us pushing through it when we get to the other side, we have a reason then to shout unbelievably because we recognize God not only brought us through it, but God taught us some lessons in the process as well. And that's when your enemy wants to know, can you sing me a song of Zion? Because I can't figure out how do you shout through when you're going through. How do you celebrate God's goodness when you're in the midst of a Babylonian context? Here it is. Here it is in the text. You've got to understand that whenever you have to remember Zion, read verse 2 again, there we wept and we remembered Zion. There's something about having to have to remember Zion. We, we don't go to church because we're so disappointed in God. When we wake up that Sunday morning and decide, I'm going to hang out, I'm going to stay in bed. But in, fact, in fact, God's not answering me anyway, so I'm just going to hang out here. There's something we miss out of fellowship. There's something we miss out of discipleship. There is something about, says Hebrews, being together with brothers and sisters in the congregation of life. And I can tell you one great advantage. We come to realize I'm not the only person who's ever been disappointed in God I'm not the only one who's frustrated by unanswered prayer and I'm not the only one who seems to believe that God has vacated his throne or God has taken my name out of his rotation but I come to realize as I listen to other brothers and sisters, they've gone through the same journey as well. And here they are still here. They are still yadawing God in the midst of where they are. And the text is trying to tell me, I got to praise God when the times are good. And I got to praise God also when the times are bad. David says in 1 Chronicles 17, 17, I think it is, that when they were building the temple and the temple was completed, David says, this is a good time to give God praise and glory because the temple was finally rebuilt. But then when you fast forward to the New Testament, in a bad time, says Acts 16, that Paul and Silas is in jail and at midnight they started singing praises unto God. In other words, whether I'm on top of the mountain, I got to celebrate but even if I'm down in the valley I still got to celebrate it because praise cannot be determined by my condition on the outside but praise is a day in and a day out responsibility it ought to be as natural and as common as each of us breathing every single day I'm talking about praise and to understand that God is going to use Babylon to help us to determine and to analyze our spiritual condition. 
because it's in Babylon that we come to realize what we believe about God. So I rewind to Daniel chapter 6. Once again, Daniel is a part of the exilic community. Daniel knew what it meant to be exiled. And Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, because he refuses not to pray unto God, but he keeps on praying, even though Darius has built a golden image that he is to be worshipped and prayed to, Daniel refuses because Daniel, remember, it ain't Darius who's kept me safely thus far, and it's not Darius who leads me and keeps me every single day, and it's not Darius who supplied all of my needs, but it's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, who gives it, and he keeps on praying unto God. He realized now he's been surrounded by haters. He is working in Darius' cabinet and there's some haters all around him because they realize there's something about Daniel that he's not following the regular protocol and rules. He keeps on going home and praying to this God out of the east window. And he went and told the king, look, you've made a rule that when you have lifted the image that you are to be worshipped and celebrated, but Daniel keeps on keeping on worshipping and calling out to this God. And the king says, you know what? As much as I love Daniel he's a good guy but he's got to follow rules and they say yep and this is what you got to do king you got to put him out and put him away and make an example of him and here's what they did your haters when they can't find anything else to criticize you about they criticize Daniel about his religion because they realized that Daniel had something on the inside of him that caused him every day to pray to God and they said we've got to stop him because that religion seems to give him some sort of power that enable him to keep on keeping on that's why folk don't understand why every day at lunch rather than to hang around the coffee pot and talk about everybody in the office you over there in your cubicle reading your Bible just seem to concentrate and praying and asking God to bless this place because you realize your welfare depends upon you praying for them. Yes. And what does the king do? He puts Daniel in the lion's den. But watch what God does. It would have been great if God had just allowed Daniel to be put in the lion's den. But God couldn't do that because if he did that, he would then could not receive the credit for delivering Daniel because the king could have said that some of Daniel's homeboys came by at night and lifted him up out of the den. So God moves on Darius to put a cover on top of the den and Daniel had no way out. And this is what God does. God will place you in a context where you can't get out by yourself. You can't email nobody. You can't call nobody on a cell phone. You can't hang out. You can't call on your homeboy or homegirl to help you out. There's no help to you at all. You have to totally depend that God will come in time to help you out. And what happens? The king comes back the next morning. The top hadn't been moved. So he know that Daniel is consumed by the lions. He has his men to move the top. And when he looks in, he saw a scene that blew him away. Darius looked and saw Daniel laid back in the recliner watching the skins and the cowboys on a Sunday evening and the lions all around 
standing as protection. And Darius said, hold up, wait a minute, what kind of, what, what in the world is going on here? And Daniel said, what's up, man? I, listen, I got to tell you what happened. While you were busy thinking that the enemy was going to get the best of me, I was in here praying that God would make the best of me. And as a result, he tamed the lions while we were in here. And they not only are servants of me, but they are also servants of God. And the king says, man, you know what? Because you serve a God like that, I'm going to make a rule that everybody in this Persian kingdom going to have to serve the God of your salvation. And here's what what he did his enemy required a song of him indirectly and as a result this is what he did while he was chilling he was just sitting there looking unto the hills and crying out Lord I know you're able and I know these lines look so ferocious but somebody told me you'll be a friend to the friendless and a father to the fatherless somebody told me that you'll walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death Somebody said you'll be my walking stick and you'll be my water in a dry place and here I am in a dungeon in a space where the lions rule as king but they told me you were the king of kings and I just want to know where you stop through and help a brother out in this tight situation. And here come God stops by and takes the mouth of the lion and redirects the lion's whole mentality and looks at Daniel and says, whatever you want me to do, I'll do that. And Daniel says, I want you to bow down and just hang out right now because the king coming back tomorrow morning, I just want him to know that my God not only controls that which is good, but he also has power to control that which is bad. My God has all power to handle whatever comes back. And as a result, Daniel ends up realizing where his spiritual aptitude is and not until you get into a tight situation will you realize how much faith you really have in God but that's not enough I'm going to close in a minute that's not enough there's three brothers Shadrach Meshach and the bad negro Nebuchadnezzar is the king at this time of Babylon and he decides because once again this whole idea of worshiping the golden image the three boys wouldn't bow down and worship so he summons and then submits them to a fiery furnace to a space where they will be consumed but what he didn't know was that God specialized in regulating hot situations. Read Daniel 3 real closely and it says that the hot, that the, that the steam, the heat was turned up seven times hotter than what it was. Wasn't a good idea because if Nebuchadnezzar had any knowledge about biblical numerology, he would have known that the number seven wasn't a good thing to turn the heat up to. Because that meant that God in the number of completion is going to come through and complete this thing just the way it needed to be. Here comes God. In the midst of the trial, it's going to be shouting, somebody's going to shout off of this. In the midst of the furnace burning, the enemy looked in and may have raised the question internally, let me see what you're going to sing now. Here he is on Calvary, stretched high and suspended between heaven and earth, 
And the soldiers are walking down at the foot of the cross, raising the question, he raised others. Let's just see if he can raise himself from this situation. They didn't know that God loves it when the moment seems impossible to be resolved. And when the king looks in on the furnace, he starts doing his exercise in basic numerology. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three, four. Did we not put three in there? Well, why do I see a fourth image that looks like the Son of Man? Now, I, you know, they told me, they said, King, we're not going to bow down to you, but we're going to believe and know that our God is going to come through. But if he doesn't, it doesn't mean that he ain't able it's just that God has a better plan for the moment. But there's a fourth image. A fourth image in this crisis moment. And is there anybody in here who know what it means to have God to show up in a crisis moment where they were trying to figure out how you made it through the surgery? They were trying to figure out how did you survive being evicted. They were trying to figure out how did you survive being lost of job. And here you are with another image standing right behind you as if there's an angel who watches all over you and makes sure that no harm comes to you. When he looks in and sees the fourth image, y'all still in there? Here they go. Yeah, man, we in here. And if you want to, I'll break you off a little rib. We ain't here cooking ribs at the time. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. They were Hebrews. They didn't have no ribs. So we're going to make that a little better. We ain't here cooking some salmon right now on the grill. Are you interested in some salmon? We're we, we having a good time because when you know that when you put that thing in the hands of God, no matter how hot the heat is, you go on and celebrate life and make the best of the moment because you know God's going to come through every single time. Because God helps us examine our spiritual aptitude and connection while we're sitting by the rivers of Babylon. Somewhere between verse 3 and 4 and then 5, Psalm 137, the psalmist cries out in a very unusual way and says, how can I sing the Lord's song in a strange land you don't do your best singing on Sunday mm -mm. you do your best singing when you by yourself in the car and when in reality your back is against the wall and you won't have anybody you can talk to and the song on the inside of you comes the life and you can't hear it, at least the voice, but it's almost saying, you can hear someone saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion in this dark moment. 
and tears start coming down your eyes and don't nobody see you but the people riding by you but they ain't paying attention to you. They're trying to keep ahead and it's just you and God in a moment of fellowship and worship and you start singing your best song because it's not until you get into your darkest moment that that song comes out. And somewhere between how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land, look at verse 5, and the psalmist says, Lord, if I forget you, Jerusalem, let my right hand lose its ability to play the harp, and let my tongue cleave to the root of my mouth. Because God also, and then I'm done, God also lets us reside in Babylon exile because God wants us to understand that exilic experiences can increase your praise. See, It's a space where God will end up allowing your praise to increase because God will then allow you to reminisce God's consistent provision. Here's what happens. When the enemy requested that they sing a song of Zion, they said, no, we don't want to sing the songs of Zion and Babylon, and then it struck them. Well, why, why wouldn't I sing here? Because I can always sing around other people who know the same lingo. But let me sing around some people who don't know God, and yet it may be something in the inside of their soul that's crying out for God. I am a believer that unless it's an unusual wicked evilness in the person, most people who are practitioners of evil are really crying out in their evil expression. But they don't know how to get to God to say, Lord, have mercy on me. So they do the next best thing. Let me find somebody who does know God. And that's you and I. And that's our crazy supervisors. Our deranged next door neighbor. Our uh, unfruitful relatives in the family. It's their way of crying out and God doesn't move us away from them but manages to move us closer to them. Because when they say, sing me a song of Zion, here's the strangest thing. When a person gets overly intoxicated, they want to hear spiritual music. Have you? Y'all ain't never noticed that? I'm not going to look back. I know cool. Y'all never knows that? I've seen people get overwhelmingly drunk and they want to hear gospel music. Because remember I told you last Sunday, because gospel music, spiritual soul music, and it does something to their soul. And something happened to his soul where he says, Lord, if I don't remember Jerusalem where you have brought me from, let me lose the ability to play the instrument. And let my tongue cleave to the top of my mouth. And then he says in verse 6, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. Because singing about God 
is a privilege. Listen to the text. Listen to the text, Psalm 33, 3. Sing to the Lord a new song. Play skillfully. I was struck by that because I was trying to figure out what do you mean by play skillfully. And the psalmist says when you're singing to God, give God your best. Don't half do the job. Paul says in Colossians 3, and all that you do, do to the glory of God as if God is standing right there and you are doing it. And then in Psalm 33, 3, he says, when you play skillfully, shout for joy. That's why I think something wrong with us when we don't have a shouting Sunday. I really do. Something wrong with us. Because when you reflect, if you have any gratitude and you reflect upon the goodness of God, do you recognize what could have been and yet it was not because mercy stepped in and held it back? Are you not aware that there were some things that we are unaware about that could have taken our life but God all around us put angels and dispatched them and they kept us from all hurt, harm, or danger? Are you not aware that our life could have been cut short 25 years ago but God through his own divine providence decided to let our moments run just a little while longer? Do you not realize that all the stuff that we've done, God could have in any single moment allowed death to take us out. But here we are right here on the fourth Sunday in September of 2018, still with a chance to honor the Lord. God's trying to tell you, I'm giving you a chance to celebrate and shout with joy. If that's not enough, Psalm 96.1 says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Watch the pattern. Psalm 98.1, Sing to the Lord a new song, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Psalm 149, verse 1, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise, his praise, watch this, in the assembly of the sanctuary. Church is the last place where silence has preeminence. It should be the one place where you have to walk by and say, man, they make a lot of noise every single week. But this is the one place where we become so silent and so cool and so smooth and we don't even get excited about the goodness of the Lord. Everything is toned down. Because we want to be a cool church. Church don't have no excitement. Don't have no exuberance. Folk there are too emotional. They just got too much going on. I, I don't want all that when I go to church. I just want to be able to go in, hear the word, get my amen on and go on back out. Where... All you got to do is just go by the graveyard. Plenty of cemeteries all around us. I mean, I, I can point you to a few around here that I know. I tell you, folk don't say nothing. I go by them all the time. I don't hear a word. I just stop and don't hear a word. There's a reason why they are no longer called the living. But when I get a hold of Psalm 150, it tells me, let everything that has breath. That's what it is. Y'all ain't living. Y'all ain't got no breath. I'm talking about some breath people. 
breath people recognize they blessed to be able to breathe blessed people recognize they're blessed to be able to raise their hand breath people recognize they'll lift up their voice and thank thank you God breath people will come to recognize if it had not been for the Lord on my side they don't have a problem with lifting up their voice and blessing the Lord at all times grandmama used to say I wouldn't serve a God that I couldn't feel sometimes in other words they were trying to tell us every now and then God ought to stir your soul something about you ought to be able to get stirred up about God and you ought to be able to shout and get up out of your seat and be willing to run around and say Lord I just thank you and somebody say it don't take all that child you just don't know how God has blessed how God has kept, has God has washed over me, it takes all that for me. That's why the psalmist said, if I don't remember you, Lord, let my right hand lose its strength and let my tongue cleave to the root of my mouth. Because if I'm not willing to give you thanks, I'm not worthy to be alive. So I'll close with this. I don't know about you, but Jesus was in a crowd one day and Jesus was in the midst with his disciples and the Pharisees said, you know what? There's something I notice about you and your crowd. When we look at y'all, y'all, that's not a good word, but here it is. Y'all just keep making noise. Just keep celebrating or something. What, what is it? And Jesus said, well, let me just give you a little hint. If these, my disciples, the one that I have blessed, the one that's been with me for the last three years, he's cry out. I'll have the rocks to cry out and praise me. Now, that's the difference between the living and the dead. Better defined, the animated and the inanimated. In other words, I don't want rocks that have no life at all to be able to stand up and praise God because I wouldn't praise God. But I want to be able to thank God for myself and stand on the rock, which is the God of my salvation. So when your enemy requests of you a song, don't, don't hang your harps on the willows. Don't silence your voice, but cry out with all that you have to celebrate who God is. That's what this song was about. God was trying to ask them, will you praise me in the darkest space of your existence? Or does things have to be all in line for you to bless my name? And how many of you know there have been many times when God has blessed me and all the stars didn't line up? Nothing was the way that I thought it was going to be. How many of you know God opened some doors that I certainly never expected and I certainly didn't think that it would happen in the midst, watch this, of my spiritual life at the moment which was a wreck. And that's what makes celebrating God so good. When I know I'm a wreck, I know my life is toe up from the toe up and yet it keeps on blessing over and over he gives me a second chance if you read jeremiah 29 and you listen to this psalm god says you know what even though i know you are a wreck and i know you're tore from the flow up i'm gonna give you another chance 
And I don't know about you, that's enough to celebrate that God, you're going to give me another chance to get it right. Yeah, and God says, you know what? You still ain't going to get it right, but I love you so much, I'm going to give you another chance anyway. Because that's what grace and mercy is all about. So when my enemy says, sing me a song of Zion, I will oblige gladly. Because I know if it had not been for the Lord on my side, tell me where would I be?